Um, I'm having to cancel all vacations by executive order. For you who are thinking about going on vacation, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine now? There wouldn't be 12 of us in here if all you vacationers were gone this week. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of the other folks. It's called the summertime blues. <laughs> but anyway, we're in uh, Numbers chapter 21. Uh, I don't, per se, have a Mother's Day sermon for you. Uh, but in Numbers chapter 20, we have Miriam, Moses' sister. She dies in verse 1. Then in verse 28, Aaron... Moses' brother dies. But Israel's been in the wilderness 39 years now, and they're getting ready to exit the wilderness. Edom, a nation that Israel needs to travel through, are not willing to let Israel pass through even on the highway. Israel offers to pay for any water or pasture that they're their flocks may graze upon and that kind of thing. But Edom says, no, you're not going to pass through our land. And Edom is willing to go to war against Israel to stop them from passing through their territory. Aaron, who was high priest at this time, uh, he didn't have a retirement plan. Aaron simply served until he died. And we don't see retirement spoke of in Scripture too often. More and more people today uh, work later on into life. For many people, retirement actually leads to a time of boredom and even death in some folks because they've lost their purpose for living and retirement is uh, not good for them. Uh, Moses is told by God that Aaron will be gathered to his uh, people and that is simply a, a poetic way of saying Aaron is about to die. Aaron will not go into the promised land because of the striking of the rock by Moses at Meribah. Moses struck the rock and he forfeited his own right to go into the promised land. But he also sacrificed Aaron's right as high priest to go into the promised land. And we see that God holds Moses and Aaron responsible to be obedient to him, to represent him properly before the people. Aaron is taken to the top of the mountain. They strip off his priestly garments and his garments are placed upon Eleazar, his son. Aaron is allowed to see his son become high priest. That's a blessing. We all want to see our children walk and follow after the Lord. And Aaron is allowed to see that his son will be high priest. Eleazar 
Moses and Aaron go to the top of the mountain, but Aaron doesn't come down. God took him there. And the entire congregation of Israel, uh, they see that Aaron is missing. Moses relates that he is no longer with him. And they mourn Aaron for 30 days. So we have Miriam and Aaron dying. And Moses will soon die himself. Along with all those over 20 years of age will die off in the wilderness because God's not going to allow them to go into the promised land because of their uh, rebellious sin and so forth. Only Joshua and Caleb, the two good spies, are allowed out of that whole generation. Only two men are allowed to go into the promised land. And we see Edom, their descendants of Esau, and they're not allowing Israel to pass through their land. And so we look at Numbers 21, 1 through 3. Then King Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Hormah. King Arad of the Canaanites, he fights against Israel to prevent them from passing through their land. The Canaanites, they take some prisoners and this brings a vow of vengeance from Israel against the Canaanites. If you'll give the Canaanites into our hand, God, we will completely and utterly destroy them and all their cities. And God does deliver the Canaanites into Israel's hand and Israel does destroy their cities. Now, a little local history. Have any of you ever heard of Arab? Not Arab, Arab. Arab is south of Lacey Springs on 231. You go down. But do you know what Arab was originally called? Ahab. It was originally called Ahab. Somebody said, no, we're not Ahab, we're Arab. And that's not Arab either. <laughs> you go down there, you best say Arab. But anyway, let's read Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away these serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, 
and it shall be that every one who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone when he looked upon the bronze serpent, he lived. A strange sort of thing to do. Edom and the Canaanites have not allowed Israel to pass through their land. And this is a great hardship, especially when you're walking. That means they got to get off the beaten path, go out into the wilderness. And when they go out into the wilderness, of course, they encounter these fiery serpents that are biting the people and killing them. And the people become very discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged? Word of advice, do not resort to the behavior of Israel. <laughs> Israel begins to murmur and complain against God. It's their pattern. They do it, they know it's wrong, but they continue to do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you, in Christ Jesus. That is a very demanding verse. It's a verse of faith. You have to live that verse by faith. We cannot give thanks for everything that comes our way unless, unless we realize God is in complete control. If you understand that, you can give thanks. Perhaps God is leading some of you through a difficult, fiery trial. A time when all of your plans seem to fall apart. Are you looking at your difficult trials and all you can see is disaster? Then you come upon this verse, and everything gives thanks. And you go, how in the world can I give thanks my world is falling apart. You have to understand. That's when you must understand the nature of your heavenly father, that he loves you. And you have to understand this too, that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's plans for us are not our plans. You see, God has an agenda with each and every one of us. And he's preparing us for eternity. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are children of the living God. And our Heavenly Father, he wants the best for us. And the best for us is not a few weeks, not a month or two, not even a few years, and you can even say not a lifetime here on earth. But God wants the best for us eternally. And God is preparing us for heaven. And in his preparations for us for heaven, we need a few what we call attitude adjustments. <laughs> we need a little molding. We need a little shaping for our future. And the majority of our attitude adjustment involves trusting God
and giving thanks to God above our circumstances. Thanking God for bothering to work with us, even though that may be painful. I get more concerned when God's not doing anything in my life that I can see than I do about trials. Trials, we're either in a trial, going into a trial, or coming out of a trial. Trials are part of life. I get concerned when I don't see any of those things going on. But godly character, spiritual growth happens when we are forced, and unfortunately, when we're forced to believe God is in control. And to give thanks for those fiery trials that surround us. Israel is discouraged, very discouraged. And they happen to take this difficult detour around Edom and around Cana. And Israel's reaction is to speak against Moses and to speak against God. Their pattern. They've developed this pattern over 39 years out the wilderness and their biggest complaint is about God's provision our soul loathes this worthless bread speaking of manna manna I'm sure got tiring I'm sure it got boring how many ways can you cook manna but it's your provision from God and this complaining, this griping by Israel brings about instant judgment by God. God sends fiery serpents, poisonous snakes among the people, and many of the people begin to die from these snake bites. Well, this brought about a good thing because the people instantly repent then. We have sinned against the Lord, and we have sinned against you, Moses. And then they asked Moses, please pray for us. Pray that the Lord would take away these serpents from us. And in verse 8, we have God's solution. Moses, construct, build a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. Now this will require a little time to do. You can't fashion bronze instantly you got to melt it pour it into a mold cast it and so forth and make a bronze serpent meanwhile as they're building this bronze snake on the pole the live snakes are still active still biting the people and people are still dying waiting for God's provision Whenever you read of snakes or serpents in Scripture, it's always evil. All we have to do is look back and ask Eve. <clears throat> snakes and serpents are evil in my little world. Just this past week, I had the privilege with my trusty little 22 with rat shot in it to shoot a serpent and kill him. I shot him down by the pond, thus making my day a good day. 
Snakes and I have an agreement. If I see one, I must try to kill him. My favorite scene in, in, the, in the movie, The Passion of Christ, is they flash on, and, and it, this character is playing Jesus. He stomps that little serpent. And I go, yeah. <laughs> go get him. <laughs> but uh, serpents being evil... Bronze representing judgment, and Moses is instructed by God make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten could simply look upon this bronze serpent and live. That's simple enough, right? All you had to do was look upon the serpent on a pole and live. Yet without a doubt, some refused to look upon that serpent. Some refused, I'm not going to trek over to where this serpent's on the pole and look look upon a snake on a pole. That is ludicrous. Guess what? They died. They died. In John 3.14, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And many men today, and many men of past and throughout our history, have refused to look upon Jesus lifted up on a cross for our salvation. Jesus upon the cross was an open display as the solution, as the sacrifice for man's sin. Our Lord and Savior went to the cross, suffered the cross for the sins of mankind. And all any person has to do for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, is look upon Jesus, God's sacrifice for us. Now, God couldn't have made eternal life any easier to accomplish. It's a gift of God, and he made it very easy for us. Yet many people look upon the cross of Christ as foolishness. The Apostle Paul had something to say about this, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll look at verses 17 through 25. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:17 through 25 For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with the wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God For it is written I will utterly I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe.
For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The message of the cross is not hidden, it is not held from us in the wisdom of words. Rather, the cross displays life. Now, the cross, it says here, according to Paul, is foolishness to those that are perishing. Those who are dying, it's foolishness to believe that one man dying on a cross could save them. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we as Christians, when reflecting upon our salvation, we marvel at the simplicity and power of believing in the work of Jesus upon the cross and receiving eternal life. The world, and you've, you've, you've come across this, they cannot grasp eternal life or heaven simply by believing in Jesus. It doesn't make sense to them. But God displayed his power by saving any person who believes Jesus died for their sins. And you must believe also that he was resurrected and lives today. To the skeptic, to the doubter, this is foolishness. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. The Jews desire a sign, some miracle. The Greeks, the thinkers, the cross is not logical. It doesn't make sense. Verse 24, but for us call to salvation, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. What appears to be foolish to the logical man, men who consider themselves wise, God demonstrating in the most simple of ways that he is stronger and wiser than man. The very thing that man looks upon as foolishness is the power of God. The message of the cross is easily understood even by a child, yet the wise stumble over it. The majority of Christians become Christians at an early age when their minds are tender and when their heart is tender before God. God giving us eternal life by the atoning work of his son upon a cross. So when God, by his Holy Spirit, makes the cross real to you, to anyone, because God doesn't want any to perish, 
we're to grasp that opportunity. We're to jump at that opportunity to be in God's kingdom, to be a child of God. Hebrews uh, 4.7 has something to say about this, and it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. What a great message that is. Don't harden your heart. Today, in this verse, speaks of the urgency of believing now while the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. The foolishness of man, he wants to delay the now. He wants to say, when I'm ready, when I've lived my life, when my, you know, days of sowing wild oats are over, I'll turn to Christ when I've lived my life. No, today, right now, is the day of salvation. Now, I realize that there may not be a person in this room who needs to get saved, and that I rejoice over that. But don't allow that today is the day of salvation to pass you by. And I don't know your heart. There'll be people in the prayer room that would be happy to pray with you if you have an issue of needing salvation. Don't look to your wisdom. Look to the cross. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we counted a privilege to have the understanding, to have the basic theology to know that your cross provides us salvation. Lord, I would not want anyone that attends here to misunderstand salvation through the cross of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you did this simple act of suffering on the cross for all of mankind. And it stumbled some. They can't get over that hump of understanding that you dying on the cross saves them. So, Lord, make it real to those. We have friends, we have relatives, Lord, that do not know you and are struggling with that very issue. So, Lord, open their hearts to the truth of yourself. Lord, we thank you. Just as that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness on the pole, you also were lifted up to draw men to yourself to be our Savior. We thank you for that. Make it real in our hearts and lives, Lord, and give us, give us that testimony in our heart and life to others, those that are perishing. And there are perishing people all around us, Lord. So be with us. Watch over us and take care of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.